0: Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas, brought to you by Carrier. Turn to the experts.
1: Mark in Dallas, welcome to Texas Home Improvement.
0: Hey Jim, thanks for taking my call. Appreciate I appreciate
1: it. you calling. I was kind of getting tired of talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, my question is: I've got i uh, I'm enlarging a shower. I know traditionally, we, you know, you you have the the shower pan, and they have that kind of gray vinyl material liner, and then you use the cement backer board. Is that still the best method? I've been reading about something called a Schluter system. It's a company out of Germany. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've ever used it or heard it or what you think about it, uh, or is that a better way to go than the traditional method? Or any thoughts on that?
1: I have used I uh, I've used it once on a project I did uh for uh one of the charity houses we did um mm-hmm. in in I, I did my own house first not with that but I used the traditional with the the rubber and the mortar and all that stuff I, I got to mm-hmm. be honest I st- I still prefer the old traditional way okay, um, okay. Th- and the main the main reason is just you're really dependent on the sealant when you when you use that Schluter system. And I okay. think it would last for, for a pretty good period of time, but just for a solid feel and even a longer time, I go with the traditional bed it with mortar, put the rubber, another bed of mortar over it uh, with the concrete backer, and I don't have to worry about it.
0: Do you use that uh, red guard? I've seen a thing called a red guard as well. Do you ever use that that you put I, over the backer board?
1: I have, but truthfully, uh, over a backer board, I usually don't worry about it.
0: Okay. Okay. So nothing else to do with just the traditional method with that rubber and the mortar yep. and the backer board should be fine construction. Uh, fine
1: yeah. And, you know, with the backer board, you don't have to worry about moisture getting onto that backer board anyways because... It's not going to deteriorate or anything. And all these other products are to protect your backing materials. Uh, and, and a lot of times they're just using sheetrock. And I just, sheetrock was never designed to do that.
0: Right. Yeah, when you get that wet, look what happens exactly.
1: Yep. So.
0: Okay, well, I do appreciate the advice. I appreciate your show. You can take care. Have, have a good day.
1: You as well, Mark. Take care and happy 4th of Thanks. July. one eight hundred two eight eight. 288 9227 that's one 288 9227 and uh, folks it's it's not that i'm opposed to using new, new materials i use new stuff all the time but sometimes old tried and true works better and truthfully the backer board is a newer product if you went really back on how these showers used to be done you've got the mortar bed on the floor and on the walls they would use a expanded wire and the mortar would be smeared on the walls as well then the tile would go over that so you know con- quite frankly the concrete backer board is a newer material in order to make it easier and again you just don't have to worry about it. now the one thing behind your concrete backer board it's you're supposed to put a vapor barrier So that moisture that does get on the concrete backer board doesn't just soak through to get onto any insulation that's back there or the lumber, you know, the framework of the house. So that's just a little side note there. Janine N. Richardson. Our church was built 50 or 60 years ago, and we've never had a problem with sap dripping from the ceiling until last year when we replaced the boilers with HVAC systems. Now there seems to be sap dropping on the carpet from the ceiling. We're told it may be due to the temperature in the sanctuary being too hot. Is that possible after all these years? What can be done to correct the problem? Community Christian Church is located and gives me the address and stuff. Uh, You know, I don't think it's going to be because it's too hot. And here's why. Typically, it's hot outside, and if it's hot outside, and you got heat coming through, and you make it too cold inside, then you could get some possible dripping of of material. But if if you make it hot inside and it's hot outside, you got uh, like temperatures, you're typically not going to have a sweating issue that would cause it to start dripping that way. You know, the sweating is is caused by the temperature variation between outside and inside. Um, Now, can you get that in the winter months? Normally, you don't get it in the winter months simply because the humidity levels are so low. So what could be causing this? Well, a few things. Uh, One could be just a coincidence that this is happening at the same time. You know, my first question would be, what color are you getting that's dropping down? Because if it's got any type of uh, yellowish hue to it or golden or anything like that, uh, my initial thought would be, I wonder if you got honeybees up in there. And that actually can be causing a problem like this. Uh, there are some other things that can cause this as well. Uh, you could be, if it's more of a dust than it is liquid, you can have carpenter... Uh, Bees, you know, where they can be burrowing in, termites can actually do it. But normally if it's caused by termites, you're seeing these uh, dirty spots that look like kind of like pepper up there. So uh, I I just don't think it's going to be the temperature variance I, uh, uh, just because of the heat issue. Um, now, if you're leaving it hot all the time and then come time for church on Sunday, you guys are throwing the temperature way down, Hey, yes, that actually could be causing it. Uh, and so I, I don't really have enough information to, to say 100% what it is, but that would be a possibility. Carol, how are you today?
2: Well, I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing oh, well, I'm sitting down here in deep East Texas uh, watching the trees and stuff. I'm doing great.
2: Great, great. I have a question about a metal roof. Uh, We have a place in the Hill Country that has a metal roof. We had a hail storm a couple weeks ago. A adjuster came out and said there are dent marks in the roof. Over a period of time, it will rust, and so we should replace it. I was wondering if we can get that metal roof off, can we use it on, say, uh, a shed or storage building or something uh, to use it for that? Is that doable?
1: Absolutely. In fact, is the insurance going to cover that? The, the, yeah. the you know, uh, And the reason I'm a little surprised is a lot of times when it's a metal roof that way, the dimples that you get from a hailstorm are cosmetic only. And mm-hmm. uh, they typically don't like to cover a metal roof unless it's been hammered so hard that it starts leaking. So yeah, you got no problem at all moving that metal onto something else and using it.
2: Okay, so you take the the, the top part off and then uh, just put it back on. You have to cut it, I guess, to, to yeah match up cut to, what size. cut you want. to the
1: size that you need in that. But uh, yeah, it. it, it there would be no reason at all not to do that. Okay. Well,
2: that sounds great. It would be one way of using it that
1: way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep.
2: Okay. Thank you, and have a great day and a great You voice. as well. Take care. Thank
1: you. And, you know, like I said, a lot of times insurance companies don't want to cover a metal roof uh, because they'll say, well, it's still performing as function. Granted, it doesn't look great, but it's performing as function. The reason on a asphalt shingle... When it gets hail dimples in it, the granules come off, and at that, the life of that roof is just dramatically shortened. That's the reason those roofs get placed, and that's also the reason I tell you all the time: if you had hail damage, and it's still hail season, and you don't want to, you know, necessarily replace it right away, don't. You've got a year. Wait until hail season's done for the year then put the new roof on. I have vinyl frame windows. I have sprinklers near the windows, which cause calcium to build up on the glass. I understand that using a solution of muriatic acid is a good way to clean remove the calcium. Will the muriatic acid damage the vinyl? And what about plants near the windows? Well, actually, it... uh, depends on how much muriatic acid you use yes it can damage the plants Uh, and I'm not sure exactly what it would do to the vinyl I'm thinking that probably would hold up okay but if you get it on all uh, 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 a heavy dose of it on the brick and mortar and stuff it can damage that as well so the rest of the question here what is your opinion about using muratic acid or is there a better and safer way to remove the calcium deposits? There actually is. Now it's still going to be a little acidity but use vinegar and instead of using paper towels use newspaper. The newspaper has a little bit more abrasiveness and the vinegar and water mixed together will clean it off uh, and take those calcium deposits off now you can use straight vinegar if you want but if you mix it like a 50 50 mix uh, usually that will take everything off that you want to take off it's not going to do any harm to the brick and mortar you don't have to worry about the vinyl and like I say you're gonna have a nice clean window and you'll be amazed at what newspaper will do as far as to help clean it up if you'll start using, using the, the newspaper to apply it and and scrub it that way, and then you can use a, a drier one just to help dry it off. And the vinegar in it helps evaporate the moisture so that you don't leave any residue and stuff. Uh, it It really does a great job of cleaning windows, and you don't have to worry about what it's going to do to the plants and stuff. Charles, how can I help you?
0: Hey, buddy! I've got uh, like a barn, dominium. It's all metal, sides, roof, and everything.
1: Okay. And
0: I had a lean-to on the back. We built underneath it, and now I've got a few leaks.
1: Uh,
0: is there a spray I can do the whole thing
3: with on the roof?
1: Or... Is it is it just leaking where the uh, ridge, you know, where the uh, lean-to ties in, or is the whole roof got? different pinholes and stuff in it.
0: No, the shop is still... I don't have a leak one. But Uh on the lean-to that I built underneath, I've got leaks, uh, gosh, all the way across it. Not where the seam is, not where the lean-to comes off.
1: Well, they actually do make coatings that you can put over the top of them that can be sprayed on or rolled on, uh, and that would help seal all that stuff up provided the gaps aren't too big and you can actually no
2: big
0: gaps i think it's probably just screws or something because it's just
1: yeah and if it is just screws you know typically on that i would recommend just going up with a caulking gun uh and some roof sealant and dabbing on top of each screw and that's just a regular routine maintenance that you you do have to do on these things Uh, Sometimes those screws actually will start backing out, and so you got to tighten them down sometimes and then reseal them. But uh, if that's all it is, I would hit those with just a, like I said, a caulking gun with some roof compound in it. Otherwise, yes, you can roll on or spray on a cover that seals the whole thing. If you're going to do that, get a light-colored one so that it uh, helps with the heat underneath as well. And even, even right. the box stores like Lowe's and Home Depot sell it.
3: Oh, okay. Did y'all
2: do that? Or?
1: No, sir. No, nah, the okay. only thing I... I do foundation repair. I have a plumbing company and an air conditioning company. Okay. Uh,
0: as far as the spray, what would that run, I got? Any idea?
1: Not a clue. It's expensive, okay. though. I mean... Uh last time I looked at it and prices have changed since then. It was like $60 a gallon.
0: And a gallon cover what 100 square feet? Uh
1: I think I think it was 250. Oh, okay. That wouldn't be bad. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh any recommendations? I would personally cover the screw holes first and see if that fixed it. Okay.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh what kind of coat? Uh, they make a regular roofing compound in the in the caulk. If if you go over to the roofing materials, they'll have it there. Like the black tar. Or? Yep. Yep. Okay. All right, mm. brother. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. When we left, I was talking with Ralph and Denton, and Ralph, I'm sorry, I actually missed part of your question there. So could you ask that again, real quick? Yeah, basically my question, Jim, is um, uh, I've I've got a
3: a lack of water pressure at my eleven year old home, and it's most noticeable at my two outdoor hose bibs uh, okay. I, I hooked a little sprinkler up to it uh that I used years ago, and realized that there was just nothing hardly coming out of this sprinkler, so I took it next door, hooked it up to my neighbor's hose, and you know it shot eight feet in the air as opposed to two feet in the air on my side. Hmm. So I have I have taken his equipment, and hooked it up to my hose bibs, and my equipment and hooked it up to his hose bibs, and it's apples and oranges as far as what we're getting pressure wise out of my house and his house. Has it has I, it always had, been that way, or is this something new? Yeah, no, it's been that way always. Okay, uh, there, and I had I had the city come out and check the meter,
1: uh huh, to,
3: to see if I was getting at least from their side up to my side if it was adequate. And they said, yeah. And I had them check the hose bibs at my house, and actually, and they said that I had about fifty six or seven pounds of pressure, and that that's normal.
1: Yeah. Well, but you got a, you got a restricted flow somewhere. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And, you know, the first thing to check would be the main line because it, it's not just the outside hose bibs. You're getting this issue everywhere in the house, correct? That's correct. Yeah, the first thing to check then would be where the main comes into the house, what size line did they run? Uh and then the valve, the shutoff valve to make sure that it's not restricted. That's more than likely one of those two items is what's causing this problem because if the main line coming in is too small, you're not getting enough water. If the the gate isn't fully open on the valve, you may not get enough water. And so it's going to yep. be one of those two items. Missouri City. Dave, this is Jim. How can I help you? I said, How are you doing? Good.
0: Good. Okay. Hey, I've got a. Uh, in the backyard there, I turned the water on and uh, with no hose or anything hooked up, and then I'll get a, a real loud vibration. This morning, I also did it in the bathroom and it did it on the toilet, and they're close to one another there. What could be causing that, and is it dangerous?
1: It's not dangerous. Uh, and it, when you're saying it, that sound you're getting, it's not just a single thing. It sounds almost like a machine gun going da-da-da-da-da-da-da.
0: You got it. You hit the nail. Get okay.
1: On yep. You, you've you got a washer somewhere or O-ring that has come loose, and as water flows by it, it's just flapping in the water as it goes by, and it makes the all the pipes throughout the house... Sound like uh, you know the the whole thing's gonna just shake itself apart, and it it's down to that, that little nickel washer.
0: And where 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 would it be? Close to the outside, or at the at the uh, door or just somewhere in between the house or something? Or what?
1: Well, since it started with that outside faucet, uh, you're gonna have one on that faucet that's bad, and it's possible that you've got multiple in the house that are bad, uh, especially after we had that freeze in. February, there's been a lot of this kind of stuff going on because so much debris got broken loose and ran through that nicked up O-rings and washers and stuff and, and let them start, you know, getting loose like that. So start with the outside faucet and basically shut the water off to the house. Loosen up the nut on top to take the packing and everything out. And that's where you should see it. Just replace all the rubber pieces, put it back together, and that should fix it.
0: I mean, you're talking about the part that actually you hook the garden hose up to it.
1: Yep.
2: Oh, And yeah, okay. okay.
1: where the where the handle is on top of it, there's going to be a big nut, and if you loosen up that nut, that'll allow you to remove all the insides, and uh, replace all the rubber pieces.
0: And how how would that be related to the one in the bathroom,
3: in the, in the it, toilet?
1: The one in the bathroom is going to have the same issue. There's the fa- one of the faucets. Uh, probably one of the handles underneath the sink has the same issue. Now, in that situation, you just replace the valve and be done. Is it Sean?
2: Yes, it is. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, you
1: bet. How can I help you?
2: Yeah, I've got uh, moss growing on just one side of
0: my roof. I think it's the uh, east or the west facing side. I've got a giant, I think it's an oak kind of hanging over, but not touching or anything. But, so I heard. Conflicting stories. A roof guy said I don't worry about it unless it's uh, you know it's a, unless your homeowners or something says something. But so I had two questions. Just one is it something I need to worry about as far as life of the roof? And even if I want to take it off, uh, even if it's okay and I want to take it off, how do I? What's the best way? I've I've tried to buy something from, from I think it was Lowe's and squirt up there with the sprayer and didn't really seem to knock it off.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm assuming it's. It's just a kind of a light green haze up there, correct?
0: Yeah, it's I've, I've, it's low enough that I've got, I've been able to get a little rake and kind of scratch it off. So it's it's a little more. It's
1: getting heavy than
0: Just a green haze. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Uh, one, yes, it can do harm to the roof. It's going to shorten the life cycle of those shingles, not by a huge amount, but it is going to shorten that life cycle. Uh, as far as something to sp- to put on it. Honestly, the first thing I would do is hit it with a very light pressure washer to knock all the debris off and then put some uh, spray-and-forget or wet-and-forget up there to help keep it from growing right back. And I think that'll take care of it for you. Just a
0: reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast.
4: It helps people find us.
1: Mike, welcome to Texas Home Improvement.
4: Hey, thanks for having me on.
1: Hey, I had a quick question
4: regarding a detached garage. So I just finished uh, drywalling and insulating the garage. Um, We went ahead and drywalled the uh, roof as well, or the ceiling. This is a three-car, so it's a 20 by 30 space. Um, I don't currently have any insulation on the ceiling, and uh, that garage gets hot and i mean real hot Uh, i've even insulated the garage doors as well um and you know when i get home from work at you know five or six o'clock in the evening you know i've recorded temperatures of 97 98 degrees inside of the garage when you know at that time it's probably in the lower 90s to upper 80s so i was looking for recommendation on a what type of insulation i should put in uh for the ceiling and uh b I noticed that the only vent that I have on this detached garage seems to be at the peak of the garage, and it kind of runs the length of the peak of the roof, I would say probably 10 foot. So I don't know if there's any right. additional, you know, venting I should I should go with. wanted to hear what you thought.
1: Okay. Well, first of all, you're not air conditioning this space, correct?
4: I was going to. I have a mini split that I was going to run with it. Oh, perfect.
1: Okay. That's the reason it's getting so hot. If you put insulation in a garage and you don't have the air conditioners running, the insulation actually absorbs heat and holds it. Uh, it, it And at that point, it's actually doing nothing. In fact, it becomes detrimental because as it starts cooling outside, it's still releasing the heat inside. And so yeah. it actually makes the, the situation worse. Insulation is only in air-conditioned space. So uh, we need to go ahead and finish building it out, put insulation in the top, and go ahead and get your mini-split installed and start cooling. And that's going to fix the problem completely. Um, As far as the uh, ventilation, what you've got up there right now is a ridge vent. And you should have soffit vents that go with that for air to come in and up and out. And so if you don't have any soffit vents, you want to go ahead and get a bunch of those installed.
4: Okay. On a space of that size, you know, 20 by 30, What do you? how many would you recommend?
1: For every 150 square feet of space you have, you want to have one square foot of open vent. And just split that between the exiting and the incoming. So uh, you said 20 by 30. So yeah so you need four square feet so you'll need two square feet of vents uh on the soffits to be going letting the air come in um so you're probably for each vent oh let's see. so you need to put at least i, I personally i like continuous soffit vents but in a situation like you're dealing with, you need to put at least eight vents. Okay, that's not too bad. I, I yeah, I, you
4: know, I couldn't, I couldn't tell if if, if it was the, you know, obviously lack of air conditioning or you know maybe the fact that I didn't have soffits in there, I wasn't getting any exchange. I was, uh, yep. you know, shooting myself in the foot. But you know, obviously the air conditioning is going to make a big deal. But uh, I wanted oh, to yeah. do everything first and properly prior to installing the mini split. Yep. Um, Okay, so that that's, that answers that question. And and last one, uh, as far as insulation is concerned, I've called a few different companies. Uh, you know, blown, sprayed, the whole nine. And and uh, you know, I've I've kind of narrowed my decision down to uh, I guess cellulose and and just the regular uh, what is that fiberglass uh, spray, yep. spray and insulation. You got any recommendations there? Or things us to stay away from or pay attention to?
1: I would if you're going to use a regular insulation, go with fiberglass. Cellulose okay. insulation as, uh, uh, over time will begin to deteriorate and turn, turn, and start making dust. Fiberglass insulation doesn't. And so it, it just holds up better. And if you never want to have to mess with it, use a bat-type fiberglass instead of the blown-in. Blown-in over time settles, and then you have to add more insulation. Where a bat-type, you know, the, the type that you roll out... Once right, it's there. It's there to stay, and you're completely done.
4: Okay, I'll, I'll consider that. I do have some leftover bat from uh, from when we did the walls. Uh, you know, that's obviously already in place, but there's a large gap that needs to be filled.
1: Do, do you okay, have well, uh, sheetrock? On, do you have sheetrock on the ceiling yet?
4: I do. Yeah. Uh, and okay. Obviously, three walls. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's just, you know, crazy hot when I got in there and just couldn't figure it oh, out. Oh, yeah. But I guess that makes sense. Throw a radiant so, barrier up
1: there as well. Take a look at energy in the letter Q.com and take a look at that radiant barrier. That will make a huge difference for you as well.
0: You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement.
3: For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.